0: Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. So we're going to get into our series. Uh, We're closing out Generous Living today. This is our final installment of Generous Living. So if you want to get your Bibles out, you can get your sermon notes out of your worship guide. Open up your YouVersion Bible app if you want to get the sermon notes off of there. And let's open up our Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3, generous living. I guess it's part 5 of our series. We're going to close it up. But I'm just thankful for what God's doing and what he's spoken into our hearts about building a generous culture. How many knows this? Maybe you've experienced this over the holidays when you got your fill of family. (laughs) That maybe... uh, When we're left to our own preferences, we have a tendency to be a little bit selfish. We don't have a problem looking out for ourselves. No one ever teaches their children to be selfish. We have to train them to be generous, right? We have to teach them to share. I, I'm on my fifth child now, so I've got a little bit of experience. Some of you probably got more than me. But in, in all of our children, all five of them, we've never had to go up to them and say, now listen, you need to learn how to say mine. We need, you need to learn how to keep things to yourself and not let anyone share, okay? You're just giving away everything and sharing all the time. You need to stop that and just take stuff for yourself once in a while. We've never had to have that conversation. But we have had to say over and over, you need to learn how to share. Don't say mine. Give it to other people. And the same thing, even as we get older, we still have to learn generosity because we want to gravitate towards ourselves. And so God's been challenging us in this series, and and uh, we've learned the definition of the word generous can be defined by two simple words, willing and excessive. Willing and excessive. God wants us to be willing to be generous, and he wants us to be excessive about it. We want to be over the top, people. Here at the Road Church, we want to build uh, generosity in our hearts where we're, we're over and above what's asked of us. Generosity is not doing the bare minimum. It's doing over and above. It's second mile living. Can I get some help from anybody that's not online in the room? <laughs> you know, I know you're shouting from your phone, but in here we got to understand, generosity is saying, hey, I want to take what's expected and ratchet it up another notch. That's generosity. I'm going to serve over the top on the dream team. I'm going to give of my time, of my talent, of my treasures more than what's asking me. Not the bare minimum. We do more than that. Not because we have to, but because we want to. That's what generosity is, wanting to do it. So let's look at what that looks like here in, uh, in Malachi chapter 3. This is a basis, a core value of who we are as a church. One of our core values we talk about is we live generously. We live generously, freely we receive, freely we give. So we want to walk in that. We want to develop that in our character. This is why we encourage you, invite someone to church. Bring someone with you. Why? Because we want that DNA to be caught, that it's not just us that God's wanting to be generous. He's wanting to teach everybody to be generous. So you need to be generous about what God is doing for you in your church experience and invite someone else to experience it. Don't just keep it to yourself. It's not a private thing. Invite someone else. Say, hey, come to my church. God is doing some amazing things. I want you to get what God's doing in my life. Be contagious about it. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. Malachi 3, have you found it yet? Malachi 3, have you found it yet? Participation is welcomed here at the Rhodes. Notice what it says. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. This is God talking. But you say, we say back to God, in what way have we robbed you? And he says back in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, when we talk about this, we've been talking about finances, and it it gives us here in the Scripture, God speaking says to us, you have robbed me, stolen from me in two ways, in tithes and offerings. Now, I know none of us want to rob God intentionally. You know, sometimes when we teach on this, and we've been talking about tithing and when you can teach the scripture, some people can hear that verses eight and nine and hear you're robbing God, you better tithe because you're stealing from God, just trying, you know, get all angry with people and, and say you're cursed with a curse and so you better start tithing so you won't be cursed and stealing from God. That's not the way I think that we need to take the scripture. We need to look at the scripture from verse 10 through 12. Realize that God's speaking to us in 8 and 9. But here's the value and why we need to see what God's wanting to do with the tithe. He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. Try me. Try me. You ever been talking to someone and you challenged them? You said, try me. It wasn't always in a good way. God's saying that to us in this context about the tithe, He says, "Try me. Try me now this. Try me." just like Eric and Stacy did. Notice what happened. They tried God, and notice what they said about the, I love this stories like this. I mean, you know, I, and we didn't write that script for them. We didn't tell them what to say. They totally spoke from their heart that they tried it themselves and said the first year was really hard. Second year. Hard, but not as hard. And the third year, they started reaping the harvest. What happens most of the time is we try first year, we never get to a second or third year because you don't break through the heart. You don't break through the crucifixion of self. How many of crucifying self is never fun? And when you make Jesus the Lord over your finances, you got to expect it's going to be hard because me loves me some me. So bring all the tithes to the storehouse. Try me in this. He says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Look at the promise of God. This is why I understand the power of the tithe. It's not about, I'm not, I don't want to not be stealing from God and I don't want to be cursed. It's about the promises that what he gives me, that when I honor him with the first fruits with the first, here's what he says I'll do for you. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out blessing for you. I'll rebuke the devourer for you. The devourer is just where the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in our life, whether it be uh, any area of our life, but it also applies in the area of finances. And he said, hey, when you honor me with the tithe, you put me, speaking of God, you put me in the position of being the devourer, rebuker for you. That's a great and powerful place that when I know that I'm honoring God with the tithe, he is in that place that he's rebuking the devourer for me. The thing that's eating away and causing me to just things go wrong, this breakdown, that breakdown, all these things begin to happen. He puts him in a position to be a, a devourer, rebuker. You want to have God in that place of your life. So, here's notice what he says two things. This is what I want to point out today. Oop, wrong Bible. I'll get to that Bible in a minute. This sermon is so good, it, it takes two Bibles. <laughs> but here's two things two types of giving the Bible talks about. In verse 10, or sorry, verse uh, 9, you have robbed me with tithes and offerings. Sorry, that's verse 8, tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings. So we've talked about tithe. I'll give you some scriptures about the tithe, and Eric and Stacy's testimony talked about the tithe. We saw Dustin and Jenna talk about the tithe. But I want to talk about offerings. There's a distinction between a tithe and an offering. Today we're receiving our vision offering, and our vision offering today is not our tithes. It's not our tithes redirected into another area. Our tithes is separate from an offering. A tithe is returning back to God what belongs to him. The first 10% belongs to God. That's not even mine. That's his. We saw that. The tithe is holy unto God. So when I bring the tithe, I used to think I should be considered very generous because I brought in the tithe. Oh, Chad, you're so generous. Oh, look at you bringing the tithe. God's like, hey, that's mine already. When you break into generosity is when you bring me something of yours. I thought it was all mine. No, it's all God's, and he lets me keep 90% of it. What a deal. When we look at it that way, but when we look at it, it's all mine. I'll decide what I want to do with what I want to do with it. I don't want it to be mine. I want it to be his, put it in his hands, give him the honor, give him the credit, give him all that. Lord, it's all yours. Everything I have is yours. And then he says, here, I'll, keep, I'll let you keep 90% of it. Whoa! That's very generous of you, God. So this is what happens. Now an offering is where we give out of what is ours. It's sacrificial. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to talk about the offering today. We've talked about tithes, honoring God with the first. Now I want to talk about offering. You're like talking, giving more. See, generosity Generosity is not about seeing what the minimum we can get by with in giving to God. Generosity is when we say, Lord, everything I have is yours. And we hold it with an open hand and say, God, if you ask for this, I will give it to you. If you ask for this day of the week, I will give it to you. If you ask for this, this amount of hours of my life, I will give it to you. Come on, somebody. I'll, here's my calendar. It's yours, God. Whatever you want, I'll give it. Well, God, I'll give you an hour and a half on Sundays. That's all the time I've got for you. Open up your calendar. Say, God, I'll give you whatever you want. It's all yours. I'll give you a connect group. I'll give you a dream team. I'll give you serving the community. I'll give you time, whatever you need, God. I'll give you getting up early, 30 minutes early so I can pray to you. Whatever, God. Here's my calendar. It's yours. So look at generosity. This is what we're talking about, building. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read this a little different this week. If you've been around me for a while or if you've been here, I preached. I was thinking about this this morning. I came early and prayed over every row that's here at the church because I believe today is an epic, monumental day in the history of the roads. I'm believing that this vision offering is a marker of a change in history for this church. I'm believing something significant is happening out of this. That's how I'm entering in. I'm not I'm not in, coming. I didn't come today with, you know, I'll throw in a couple bucks, see what happens. I came today prepared for a major change and a shift in my life as well as in your life. And so I'm praying over these chairs and I'm thinking about, you know, talking about this. And I just, I had a little travel down memory lane and I was like, Wow, okay, so how long have I been praying over these chairs and preaching here? And, and I remember preaching my very first sermon at this church on this platform, although it didn't look like this, in night, September of 1997. Yeah, there's a big percentage of the room wasn't alive in 1997. That makes me feel awesome. I, I wasn't married in 1997, I didn't have any kids, obviously, in 1997. I, Maybe I should've done that in a different order. I didn't have any kids and I wasn't married, whichever. You know what I'm talking about. doesn't matter. I started preaching here in March of 1998, the first service, nine o'clock service every Sunday. So I began thinking about that and I think, God, what you did for me back then or what you've done for me over the history of my life, I want something new. So how I've sacrificed for God in the past means nothing for where I'm going in the future. If my sacrifice in the current is only the same as my sacrifice in the past, then I'm living off of past anointing and it will not get me somewhere. So I was praying over every chair and I said, God, I pray over the roads. I pray for new wine. I pray for new wine. New wine. Now you're like, new wine? Are we going to start drinking wine at the roads? Yes, town me up. I'm a member there. You've got to be clarified because we're online now. A lot of people, we're going flood with membership. New wine at the roads. Come on. Here's what it means. <laughs> New wine is talking about a fresh touch from God. New wine, you know, when you take communion, your wine and the bread, the wine represents the blood of Jesus and and the redemption of sin. We're talking about not... Uh, we're just talking about, God, do something new in us, new out of us, pour out of us. So I'm praying for a new wine for the roads. I'm praying for a new wine in your life, a fresh touch from God, a fresh move of God, fresh breeze to blow of God. So I'm praying over those things. And so I, I came to this and I say, God, we're going to offer an offering today that's going to be pleasing in your ears and in your eyes. And we're doing it not for monetary gain. We're doing it for what you're wanting to do in our lives. For lives are going to be impacted. Lives are going to be changed. We need more space. We need a bigger auditorium. We need renovations in Mount Carmel. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sow a seed today that's going to produce a harvest that we don't even see right now because we chose to give. Now, let's see what it looks like. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So here's something I'm going to do differently. I started on that story to why I do something different. Today, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. And if you've never read out of this translation, it's a fairly new translation. And and normally, I break down the word. I like to study the word. I like to make it simple. I like to explain different verses and look up words in the Greek and the Hebrew so I can make it understandable. And as I was preparing this week for that, going through my normal spiel and, and going through that and looking up words, nothing seemed to go. Nothing was flowing. So I felt God directed me to the Passion Translation. And he said, I just want you to read through it I don't want you to look up any words, but I want you to read through it and I'm going to speak to you as you read. I'm like, okay, let's just flow. So here's I'm going to speak this passionately out of the Passion Translation. Are you ready? Second Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth, just like he might be speaking to the Rhodes. He said, Actually, there's no need to write you about this contribution for the holy believers in Jerusalem. Now they were receiving an offering at the church in Corinth for the other campus in Jerusalem. It was a multi-site church. that had a location in Corinth, and now they were also receiving an offering in Corinth that the church in Corinth was going to give an offering to the church in Jerusalem, and it was not going to benefit them directly. They were giving to someone else, much like what we're doing today. For I already know that you are on board and eager to help. On board and eager to help. Some of you get it already, and I haven't even explained a thing. On board and eager to help. The question I felt God speaking to me when I read this, He's like, Chad, are you on board for where I'm going? If you're getting on board somewhere for a plane or a train or an automobile, you no, know, a plane or train or a bus, you know, you're waiting, you get on board. You have to get on board, you have to step on board, you have to commit to where that. Thing is going. You might hear them say, all aboard. What does that mean? That means if you're going to go where we're going, you better get on board now. You've got to commit to go where it's going. You've got to commit to the destination. And so I just heard God saying to the roads as I was preparing this, he said, is everybody on board? with what God wants to do in your life. I'm not talking about just generic overall vision of church. I'm talking about getting in your household. Are you on board with what God wants to do in your life? If you're watching me, are you on board with where God is going? Are you on board? Or are you on standby? And you watch other people get on board and go, and you keep wishing you could go somewhere different, but you're just watching other people and you wave as they leave the station and you're still standing where you have always been. God's saying at some point when the door opens, you gotta step on board and say, I'm not gonna stay where I am, I'm going where God wants me to go. What do you mean, I gotta leave? I'm uncomfortable here. I know it's time to get on board. It's time to leave comfort station. We got to get on this departure for where this plane is going. So God's challenging you. Get on board. Get on board. God's calling you. All aboard. All aboard. It's time to get on. It's time to get on. He's saying to this church, I already know that you're on board and eager. Eager. You know when you're eager to do something, you're, you're chomping at the bit. I'm I'm eager to do it. It's not like, well, you know, if you really sell it to me, I might consider possibly blessing you with my agreement. No, you're eager. This is why you need to be sitting on the edge of your seat, eager for what God wants to speak into your life. This is what God's challenging you. This is why he's saying, hey, I already know that you're on board, so you're in agreement, you're committed, you're going to ride it out, you're going wherever we're going, the destination, and you're eager to help. This is what God's asking of us, to learn to be willing and excessive, eager. I believe it's what God wants to challenge us in building a culture in our church, that we're not going to be people that, again, they have to be uh, begged into doing stuff. We're on board, and we're eager. We're on board and eager. You know, there's people out there at that church, what's different about? Well, they're on board, and they're eager. They're on board with where God wants them to go, and they're eager to do it. Look what he says. He goes on, I keep boasting, he's, he's talking to them, he says, I keep boasting to the churches of Macedonia about your passion to give. Passion to give, reading out of the Passion Translation. Speaking passionately. <laughs> you have a passion to give. You know, if you have a passion on the inside of you, others will notice it. It's time for you to dig back into your Passion. And not filter your onboarding based on how you feel. But your passion, some, I'll say it this way. Sometimes, and I've, I've run into this. This is probably my biggest hurdle. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and he said, hey, have you ever shared that with people? If they knew you struggled with that, that would probably really encourage them. Because they probably assume that you've got your life all together and you never have any problems. Some of you are nodding. Shame on you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But it's true, right? We assume other people got everything together and we're the only ones that struggle. But one of my biggest struggles in life is dealing with what other people think. Dealing with how will they receive. How how are they going to... So my passion sometimes would get filtered down and watered down based on if the response was not passionate. So if someone's not engaged then I began to have issues with wanting to shrink, get back. And God was saying to me through this, said, listen, Chad, uh, you got to get on board and you got to be passionate about what I've told you and not worry about what the response is of the people around you. And this is what God's saying to you. You've got to be passionate about what God's put inside of you, whether people celebrate you or applaud you or not. you got to go for it. Get on board. Well, I just don't know if anybody's excited about what God's asking me to do. That's all right. You be excited about it. Because look what happens when you get excited about it. Telling them, that, telling them that the believers, your passion to give, telling them that the believers of Corinth have been preparing to give for a year. Your enthusiasm is contagious. When you get passionate about what God's put in your heart, you become contagious. Anybody ever been around someone that's contagious and you didn't want to catch what they got? You know, it's contagious is a, is a natural thing. But contagious can either be a positive or a negative. Some people are contagious in a negative way. You know, like when you get in the room with them? Maybe you experienced it over the holidays. Some people's attitude is contagious, and you're like, wow, I thought I was discouraged before I saw you. Now it just went to a whole nother level. Some people can be contagious in a critical way. Gossip, pull people down all the time. You find yourself talking bad about people, why they've got a bad attitude, it's contagious. But notice what happens. When you had a passion to do what God's called you to do, your enthusiasm becomes contagious. Your enthusiasm. We need to have an enthusiasm about what we're doing that becomes contagious to other people. Now, I'm not talking about hype and emotion. Because for me, hype and emotion doesn't last past 1.30. I'll be over the emotion of this service by 1 o'clock. I'll be over the, I'll come down, and as soon as I come down, then the enemy starts talking and telling me, man, you missed that. Boy, that was terrible. Boy, did you see how that, that three or four of them people were actually sleeping? And one person never smiled one time through the whole time. I don't know what, what they're mad about. See, the way you stumble over your words and you can't even pronounce words right. Man, you're terrible. I'm just letting you in on what my afternoon is like on Sunday sometimes. It's real. The struggle's real. So now I don't know what it's like for your life, but you got to realize that your enthusiasm is contagious. And if you'll be enthusiastic about what God's put in your heart, look what it does. Your enthusiasm that's contagious has stirred many of them to do likewise. You gotta stir. Stir. What does it mean to stir? The word stir literally means to disturb. To disturb something that's settled in place. And you begin to stir it. Like it was fine, it was settled. And then you went to meddling. You started stirring it up. And all you know all that sugar went to the bottom of your tea. You start stirring it up, all of a sudden white crystals flying everywhere around your tea glass. See, some of us need to be stirred because we've settled. What happens when you settle? Certain things start separating from other things. Certain things start settling to the bottom that should be up on the top. See, your enthusiasm, it stirred many of them to do likewise. Here's what I'm believing. I'm praying for this new wine, that God will stir us up. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, the Bible tells Paul was writing to Timothy, he says, stir yourself up, stir up the gift that's within you. How many times are we waiting on someone else to stir us up when God says, pull out your own stick and start stirring? Will you, we're waiting on someone. Will you please prophesy over me? Will someone else pray for me? Someone else encourage me? Someone else make me feel better? At some point, we got to say, Hey. Soul, why are you so downcast? Hope in God, hope in God. I'm gonna stir myself up, come on, stir, stir, stir. You gotta stir it up. It's a trick, you gotta fool your feelings. The best way to fool your feelings is start talking to yourself. I lost some of this. I lost some of this. See what happens when we lose a few battles, the enemy starts to try and whittle away at your vision. When we, we go through some struggles. You go through some hard times, and pretty soon the light and the passion starts to dwindle, and you lose sight of what God wants you to do. But God says, he came here to have me stir you up to believe God again to believe God for supernatural. Believe bigger than you've ever believed for. Your enthusiasm, it stirred them up to do something. See, goes on, still I thought it would be the best to send these brothers to receive the offering that you prepared so that our boasting about you were ready to give would not be found hollow. For if after boasting of our confidence in you, some of the Macedonians were to come with me and find that you were not prepared, we would be embarrassed to say nothing of you That's why I've requested that the brothers come before I do and make arrangements in advance for the substantial offering you pledged. Then it will be seen as a matter of generosity and not under pressure as something you felt forced to do. When you're giving and living a generous life, it should not feel like something under pressure that you're forced to do. It should be a matter of generosity that you're wanting to do it. This is what God says in verse 6. Here's my point. Man, it's a powerful point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be stingy. Online, don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. Here's the, here's the, the fulfillment of that. If I'm reaping a meager harvest in my life, in any area, I need to look at my sowing in that area. Does it apply financially? Yes. Does it apply in every other area? Yes. Well, I just feel discouraged all the time. Are you sowing hope into your life? My problem where I was losing some things is God said, you stop sowing in that area. Because you had it once, because here's what happens, you get in church a while, you've been there, done that, you've heard that, so then we stop sowing because we think the supply will never deplete. But I'm telling you, you can't keep running off of yesterday's sowing, you got to sow today into your need tomorrow. Every area of your life, if you need some hope, then you need to sow some hope. And stop waiting on someone else to provide it from the outside. Keep sowing and sowing. Look what happens. i got to go ahead. Stingy sow will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from, sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Where are we sowing from? That word sow means to put something into process, to start it into motion. When we sow from a generous spirit, what are we going to reap? An abundant harvest. Don't be stingy, So from a generous heart. It comes from your heart. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Now, remember, he's talking about financial giving to this church. It can be in every area of our life. He's just talking in context. He said, let giving flow from your heart. Everybody say "Your your heart. Your generosity, your giving cannot flow from my heart and mine can't flow from yours. Let giving flow from your heart. Your heart, your heart, your heart, you're responsible for your generosity. It's got to come from your heart. It cannot come from religious duty or requirement or a have to. Oh, I guess I got to. No, you don't have to do anything. It comes from your heart. It goes on to say, let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. Notice it say, let it uh, spring up freely from the joy of getting. It doesn't say that. It says, let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. There should be a joy attached to giving, not a discouragement. You know the best way to kill? The Bible is, we can have a grieving heart. You know what a grieving heart is? A grieving heart is when you regret giving. It's like, oh man, what I could have done with that. The best way to to get rid of of the, um, I talked about the spirit of mammon last, Man last week, but if we will give from a joy of giving, if we will fall in love with giving, getting will not be an issue. We just have to fall in love with giving. Fall in love with giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. <laughs> Woo! Hilarious generosity. You know what hilarious generosity is? Unreasonable. Something can be funny. And then if something can be hilarious, hilarious is over the top. <laughs> You're like you could chuckle at some. <laughs> that's cute. Or something be funny, <laughs> that's pretty funny. But if something is hilarious, <laughs> oh my goodness, that was so funny. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you laugh, but I'm just saying, if it's hilarious... You know something I'm talking about. You have trouble breathing laughter. I'm talking about your ab workout laughter. (laughs) Says when we will give like that, we it gets God's attention. When we were talking about what we were going to give in the vision offering, Don and I was kind of prayed about it. We, I said, hey, you know, you just pray about it. I'll pray about it. We'll come together. We're busy with the holidays, and so we didn't get to talk much about it. and I realized this morning, I'm already here at the church and come early and I'm like, hey, we never talked about it. So I called her, I said, hey, um, vision offering, I need to know your number. She said, I need to know your number. I said, no, I was, no just tell me your number. Well, you need to tell me your number. It's like, not gonna go very far. Because <laughs> I, I assumed that mine was just bigger. I'll just be honest. I thought, no, tell me yours because I'm gonna hit you with mine. I was like, go go ahead and tell me because yours isn't going to bother me. I'm already prepared. This is too honest. I mean, I was like throwing it out there. So I said, just go ahead and tell me your number. She told me her number was double mine. (laughs) Could you say that again? I'm sorry, I didn't. (laughs) So I was just thinking... Thing, this number, do we even have that much? I'm like, well, it's good to know whether we have that much when we decide to give, but write an IOU to the church. But no, so, so she told me, and that's so why I'm so thankful because she straight. I thought I was already stretching. Hilarious generosity because she told me I got off the phone. I'm like, <laughs> look what happens when we give like this. And again, we're talking in context about finances, but I'm telling you it could be every area of your life. When we give g- generously with hilarious generosity, it says, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. I'm telling you, when you fall in love with giving and give with generosity, God is ready to overwhelm you overwhelm you. I'm talking exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think, but he's got to get us to realize that the generosity factor, the giving of love and loving giving, he said, I want to overwhelm you, but I can't because you haven't tapped into my system. He says, He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he has sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. Listen to this part, verse 10. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, abundant seed, God supplies abundant seed. You know what seed represents to me? As I was reading this, seed represents opportunity. God provides all kinds of opportunities for us. He provides abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. First, He supplies every need plus more. Then He multiplies the seed as you sow it. Catch this. When does He multiply the seed? as you sow it so that every way as you give generously on every occasion for when we take your gifts to those in need it causes many to give thanks to God look what he says he multiplies the seed as you sow it most of the time we want our seed to multiply and then we'll sow it God says, I'll multiply it as you sow it. Well, I just need more. If we had a little more, I would give. No, no, no. Begin to sow what you have, and God will multiply your seed as you sow it. Notice the five loaves and the two fish did not multiply for the disciples until it got into their hands, and they began to give it out. Jesus blessed and prayed for the five loaves and the two fish, and he gave it to the disciples, and it did not multiply until they started handing it out. It wasn't like all of a sudden there appeared hundreds of baskets full of fish and the disciples said, oh, okay, we can start giving them. No, they had to start giving out of the little pieces that he put in their hand. If they were not faithful with the little pieces, they would not see the abundance. But look what happens with the seed. He supplies the abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread. i got to stop. Seed becomes bread, seed becomes bread, seed becomes bread, sowing, growing, harvesting. Seed becomes bread. We can't eat seed, but we can eat bread, but we will not see bread if we don't sow seed. The seed becomes what we need. If we eat our seed, we will not get our needs met. But if we will sow our seed, it will become the bread for our meals. Notice what it says there in the scripture. It's Passion passage translation. Our seed becomes bread for our meals. My seed in my hand becomes the bread to supply what I need in my house. My seed that I sow, say, God, it becomes my bread. We as a church, we need expand our building. We need new location. We don't have enough bread, literal bread, not food bread, bread. We don't have enough bread. So what we do have is seed. So today we're gonna sow our seed and that seed is gonna become our bread. We're gonna sow into someone else's need, our church in Panama City Beach that lost their church in the hurricane. They need a new facility, a new building. We need a new building, so we're going to sow seed into their need, and our seed is going to become our bread that we're going to eat from the bread that grows out of our seed. That's what's going to happen for us as a church, and it's what happens for you individually. That your seed. When we came, when I came, I already gave in the first service, but when I came today, I came prepared to give. I came prepared. And, and even though, you know, I joked about Don and I and what we're given, whatever your amount is, God was speaking to me. He said, Chad, I want to take you to a different place. So I need you to sacrifice on a different level. And I was like, but, 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 but God, that's, that's... I tried to argue with him about it. He said, you don't have to. You don't have to do a thing. Don't reverse psychology. She said, okay, God, I don't want to be a grudging giver. I want to be a generous giver. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.